0: About, I don't know how many years ago it was, maybe 10. um, I had reconstructive ankle surgery done. And uh, they undersold the uh, pain. You you ever have these moments with, you know, the doctor, if you're a doctor in the room, I apologize for this, but you know how you are. Right, you, you'll go, this, in the long run, this is going to be good for you, right, in the long run. What they don't tell you is that short run, the pain mm-hmm. is bad, and even the, the physical therapy. But, but it turned out that it was actually, it was good, uh, but in the short term, it did not seem good. Um, you have experience like that? Like, like people have been told, you. oh, in the long run, this would be good for you. Anybody? Am I the only one? Yes, I'm the only one. Thank you, thank you, Carly. Thank you for that moment. It's just me, yeah. We, we're actually in John 16 today. We're gonna, I was with you, I promise. Thank you, Joel. Carly and I are gonna talk after, straighten this out. Um, in John 16 today, though, we're gonna look at uh, a passage where uh, Jesus is basically saying to the disciples, Something's about to happen, yeah. and short-term, it's going to look bad. Mm-hmm. But in the long run, it's going to be better for you. He, he makes a statement that it is, it is to your advantage that I go away. And we're going we're to look at exactly um, what that means, and, uh, but I want to pray for us first, and then we'll read the text. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. For the opportunity to gather uh, in this room today and to look at your word, Uh, we uh, do acknowledge you are sovereign over us, and we pray that uh, you would have your way today. Holy Spirit, you would do your work in this room, that you would make much of Jesus as we look at his word, and it's in his name we pray, amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles. Uh, Open to the Gospel of John. If you don't know where that is, uh, feel free to go to the table of contents and find it. In my Bible, it's on page 1175. I don't know if that helps anybody else in the room. Uh, But John is uh, in the New Testament, and uh, we are in a series through the Gospel of John looking at the life of Jesus. And John uh, wrote this gospel, he tells us the purpose for his writing. Uh, At the end of the book, he says, I've written these things so that you may believe Jesus is the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you would have eternal life. And we are uh, in chapter 16 today, and uh, the interesting thing about the Gospel of John is the last half of the book Mm -hmm. comprises one week of the life of Jesus, and most of it 48 hours. Uh, which is pretty unusual to mm-hmm. any of the other uh, gospel accounts. So let me begin in uh, verse 1 of chapter 16. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I've said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you.
1: There's a lot here, and as you really dig into this passage, especially when you view it with the end of chapter 15 in mind, where Jesus says that there's going to be people that hate you, and then Jesus says here there's going to be people who will kill you, it gets pretty heavy. But here's the good news. There's an answer that that Jesus gives to a life that's going to be filled with persecution and sorrow. He, he says this will happen to his disciples. You have to remember when John is writing this, it's first century, right, towards the end of the first century, John is writing this to a group of people. So you have Jesus saying this, whatever, 40 or 50 years before. Jesus saying this in a room full of 11 people who are about to go out and experience this along with all the early first Christians. Then you have John writing this years later, and John is writing to a crowd of people who are in the midst of this who are in the midst of being thrown out of the synagogues. The, the, you know, the life that they know as Jewish people, that, that, like, these circles that they know and like, you know, base their identity on, they're, they're being thrown out and being killed. And that's also a reality, not just for uh, what happened to the disciples and not just what happened here for John's readers, but that's a reality for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world too. And that, in fact, one day we could face. We're going to face persecution uh, to a level. There's going to be people who hate us. That's what Jesus says. And that, in fact, there might be people who are even killed for the sake of Jesus. Now, he says in verse 2 that, that in doing so, they actually believe that they're doing a service for God. In the first century, there was it was said that a, a, a rabbi said this, that everyone who pours out the blood of the godless is like one who, who offers a sacrifice. And so you have someone like Paul who rises up later, right? We know his story in the New Testament. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Paul uh, comes to prominence because of his persecution of the Christians. And he's doing so because he's zealous for the sake of God in his mind. And eventually, Jesus will stop him in his tracks and, and, you know, like totally halt the the road in which he's walking down there in Damascus and change his life forever. But here's what you got to know that we need to be good students of church history. Mm -hmm. And we need to know that people have died for the sake of Christ. I, I came across a quote from a leader in the European church years ago, and he was reflecting on what he saw in the Western world, and he said, look, it's so shallow and selfish when you really boil down so much of the message that people are promoting within the church. He says it's shallow and selfish. It promises so much and demands so little. It offers success, personal happiness, peace of mind, material prosperity, but it hardly speaks of repentance, sacrifice, self-denial, holy lifestyle, and willingness to die for Christ. You can go back in church history, go back to the uh, 14th century, and you have uh, someone by the name of John Wycliffe face extreme persecution at the hands of of the church because he said, look, the Bible needs to be in the language that people understand. He was a big proponent of that. He helped bring about the Reformation before Martin Luther brought it a uh, hundred years later. And so he was, he was saying, look, this needs to happen. Then came along another guy who, who knew about Wycliffe. His name was John Huss. He's from what is now the, the Czech Republic. He was a pastor. He was doing this reforming work. He was speaking out. He was saying, look, the church cannot forgive you. Only God can forgive you. The Bible is the final authority. And he was helping bring about this movement to bring back people to the scriptures. And because of that, he was tried, he was brought before uh, a a group of jurors and, and they sentenced him to death by fire. He was taken to the stake, and at the stake he prayed this, Lord Jesus, it is for thee that I patiently endure this cruel death. I pray thee to have mercy on my enemies." And as he burned, it was said that you could hear him singing above the flames that crackled. Another story, in third century Rome, there's a woman, she's a young mother, her name is Perpetua. She tells the story of herself and four of her companions that were new converts to Christianity. As new converts, they're about to be baptized. They're going through a process that will lead them to be baptized. And perpetuous father, she's well off. Her father's saying, look, don't do this. She tells, he tells her to abandon her faith. And here's what she says. He says, just as everything has a name, and it is useless to try to give it a different name, she had the name of Christian. And this could not be changed. One of the other girls that was set to be executed with her, one of the four companions, her name was Felicitas. Felicitas was pregnant, eight months pregnant. She was actually worried that she wasn't going to suffer the same fate as her friends because uh, she was pregnant and it was unlawful to execute someone who was pregnant. So she was actually excited that the baby came early. The baby was adopted by another Christian woman and her, and Perpetua, and the three men that were with them were put in the arena for wild animals to come and to to come close to killing them, and then eventually they were killed by the sword. That's the kind of legacy of people that have walked this faith. And so when Jesus says... Some of you will die. In fact, it's almost like an assumption because all but John of the disciples that we know about, whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Whoever kills you, it's going to happen. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, and in Hebrews chapter 11, you you see this long line of people who've walked by faith, and you get to the end of the chapter, and then uh, he goes on to talk about these people who've done these great acts for God, uh, but who have suffered death for his sake. And it's this whole list of people who are unnamed. And I really think that's the case because the unnamed people are much more numerous than the named people. That there's been many more people who have suffered that fate than who haven't in in our Christian walk. And so that's what we stand on. When this is when Jesus says this, this has to be real to us to think that this, this is part of following him. When he says, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross to follow me, that actually means giving him our very life.
0: And Paul, uh, the apostle who um, shortly after the resurrection, we see Paul become uh, the fulfillment of uh, they're going to cast you out of the synagogue and kill you. That was Paul's job. Mm -hmm. If he had a business card, that would have been printed on him. (laughs) All right. Well, Paul is converted and becomes a follower of Jesus, and, and he records these words in uh, 2 Corinthians, chapter uh, 11. Paul says about his life as a Christian to this point, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Suffering is part of the package. Paul even wrote to the Philippians. Uh, he, he said, It has been granted, it has been given to you, it has been graced to you not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for his sake. And so when Jesus says to the disciples,
1: mm-hmm.
0: You're going to suffer, um, but it's to your advantage that I go away, which seems crazy. I think
1: just Here's an example. I uh, was, I guess, just right out of college and I I, um, found this band that I really loved. And uh, I was going to all their concerts. Like anytime I saw them in town, I would go to one of their concerts and they were playing around here. They were just playing anywhere like anyone would have them. And uh, so me and a group of friends, we would just, we would go. Um, We loved this band and we saw they were like kind of gaining popularity we um, and then it became kind of like not just that we liked this band that we but we were a part of like something bigger than ourselves right so uh, we're showing up at these shows and we're we, like we know we know the band we've talked to them so we're like we're cool with them and and we would then next thing you know they go from like this real small venue where there's only 50 or 100 people showing up to one of their shows to thousands of people are now showing up for the shows they really grow, grew with popularity And uh, me and my friends were like, yeah, you know, you have that, like, yeah, we liked them way before anyone else liked them thing, you know, that people like to do. (laughs) And in some ways, I feel like the disciples are sort of probably in that mindset still that, that like, like, yeah, Jesus, we've been with him through all this. Like, we knew him way before any of this stuff happened, and he kind of blew up and became a big deal as he, you know really, it was just a couple chapters ago that he's parading into Jerusalem and everyone's waving the palm branches, right? That's a week before this happens. And and the disciples are like, we're, we're on to something. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, look, here's what's going to go down. I'm going to leave you. And you're probably going to die. <laughs> and uh, how is that any of that bearable for them? Mm. How, how, like, what do we do with all that? And here's Here's what he comes back to say. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. There's, there's several big things happening here. Because first of all, we know Jesus says, "Don't." I'm not going to be surprised by any of this. When you face suffering and persecution, he says, but I have told you these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. That's verse 4. And Jesus himself is going to go through this. He says, I'm going to go to the Father. Him saying, I'm going to go to the Father, is is, I'm going to go through these steps of the, the cross and then the resurrection, the ascension. I'm going to walk through what you're going to have to walk through. And then comes this huge statement that not only that, not only will not only does he is he not surprised about what's going to happen not only will he go through this first for us but that he will be with us yeah. in it yeah
0: and and you might think so if, so if you're new to the story of Christianity or just reading it for the first time um you think well Jesus is about to die and go away that ends the movement right once the leader's gone the movement's mm-hmm. dead right so why in the world would they continue to torture and kill and kick his followers out because he's gone? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, The Holy Spirit, the helper that he is sending, uh, if you have been with us, you know that we've seen so far that this helper, this advocate, this counselor is the defender, right, of uh, Christians. But now we're going to see this this simultaneous role that he is the prosecutor as well and the holy spirit is going to bring about uh, this kicked out of the synagogue and they will kill you Mm -hmm. because the holy spirit this is what jesus says the holy spirit is going to do when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment Um, That word convict there uh, means to be, uh, he will prove wrong. It's actually used in John uh, 3, verse 20, where he says uh, they are exposed. So the Holy Spirit is going to expose where the world is wrong in relation to uh, sin, righteousness, and judgment. And... Uh, you were saying uh, this morning, the, the world really does not like that. We don't want to yeah. be told.
1: Yeah, when you think about those, those three things in which the Holy Spirit works against the world is, first of all, he tells us what's wrong. Right. No one wants to be told what's wrong. Then he says, here's what's right. No one wants to be told what to do. And then he says, and I will convict them by judgment. I will expose them to the judgment of God, and no one wants to be judged. So this flies in the face of you know, everything our culture embraces. And so we know as believers, again, if we follow the path of Jesus, what he says, is the Holy Spirit's going to take us down this path that's going to lead to persecution. Why? Because look, here's what the Holy Spirit's work is. It's the same work of Jesus. It's the reason he was killed, right? Jesus wasn't killed because he was a nice guy. Jesus was killed because of who? The way he exposed people. And some people embrace it like the woman at the well. When she was exposed, she ran after him. And then some people, when they're exposed, like many of the Jewish religious, religious leaders, when they were exposed, what'd they do? They kill them. Yeah. Right? And so the Holy Spirit works the same way in our life. It convicts of us of what, what's wrong. We, we're told, no, this is wrong. And we're told what is right. And we're, we're told there's going to be a judgment.
0: The, the Holy Spirit by, uh, becomes... Uh like Nathan, the prophet, if you remember the story of King David, when David sins against uh, God uh, by committing adultery with Bathsheba and has her husband murdered, and David thinks he's gotten away with it. And then the prophet Nathan shows up and tells David this story and, and exposes David uh, when he utters this phrase, you are the man. That's the role of the Holy Spirit is to expose the darkness in our life and and give us uh, a choice. And so Jesus says, here's how the Holy Spirit's gonna do those things. Mm -hmm. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. When, when you talk to people, uh, on, particularly on college campus, if you've been with us and you've done a great exchange survey, there's a question on there that says, what do you believe mankind's greatest problem is? What do you think the most common answer to that is? It's audience participation time. Not accepting people. The one I hear the most is greed. What else do you think people would say? What's mankind's greatest problem? What do you think it is? Don't give me the Sunday school. Answer. <laughs> Selfishness. Oh, that's a, yeah. We hear that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Climate change. Climate change. <laughs> I haven't heard that one yet, but I, that wouldn't surprise me, right? You, like we have a list. Like we would list, you know, maybe uh, rape, murder, those, those things. Jesus says, the sin is not any of those things. Mm -hmm. It's unbelief. He's redefining. Look at what he says. He will convict the world. The world is wrong. He will prove the world wrong. The world's wrong about sin because ultimately, it's because they do not believe me. Mm -hmm. They do not believe in me. All those other sins flow from a rejection of the reality that Jesus is the Savior. And uh, Jesus is saying that's the problem. That we are, um, we are in an ocean of sin. Imagine we're all on a ship in the middle of the ocean. And we get, the Holy Spirit comes and exposes our sin. And we're thrown overboard. You're in the middle of the ocean. It doesn't matter if you can swim, right? You're, you're not gonna make it. Even, and if you can't swim, you know this, right? But what happens is we're thrown in this ocean of sin and Jesus the life preserver is there. The question is when the Holy Spirit convicts of that sin, are you gonna grab the life preserver or are you gonna try to swim? That, that's the, he will convict the world concerning sin. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Now that sounds a little, what, what does that mean? Like, how is him going to the Father, convicting the world of righteousness? Well, the, the, the reality is there's a standard, right? The word righteous just means right. There is something that is right. And there are things that are wrong. And the standard is God. And he, he's perfect. And there is an infinite gap between God's standard and our ability to meet it. We, we can't bridge that gap. And Jesus is about to be tried, found guilty, and crucified. He's about to be declared unrighteous. Mm-hmm. Think about that, right? And so it looks like the world's won. The world is saying this man's a—he's crazy. He's blaspheming. You—you you know. You've been with us. You know. He's condemned, taken and killed. He's assumed unrighteous. The resurrection is the vindication. That Jesus is righteous, mm-hmm. that he flips it all on his head, and everything that they thought about Jesus, Jesus saying no, the, these leaders, these religious zealots, they are the unrighteous ones. P- in fact, uh, Peter says this in first uh, Peter, Christ also suffered, first Peter chapter three, verse eighteen. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. So Jesus is saying to them, the Holy Spirit's gonna come, the Holy Spirit's gonna convict of uh, unrighteousness because I'm going to the Father and I'm gonna prove I am righteous and that the world is wrong. And then the third uh, way the Holy Spirit is going to convict is concerning judgment. Like it appears, it's going to appear to the disciples momentarily that the enemy has won, that the world has won. It's going to go dark. He's going to be put in a tomb. They're going to scatter. Mm-hmm. Jesus says in verse 11, the ruler of this world is Judged. This is what it means that, that the enemy of Jesus, Satan, has been decisively condemned and judged. And his ultimate weapon, death, has just been tossed aside. And, and Paul, I love what Paul says about what's happened uh, at the cross. Colossians 2, he says this. uh, I'm I'm just going to pick up in verse 12. He says, having been buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. So the resurrection is the key to all of this. And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision in your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, the prince of this world. He disarmed and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. He publicly humiliates Mm -hmm. Satan, right? It's like the greatest come from behind victory ever. He's in the tomb, it looks like it's over. Not only does he come back to win, he runs the score up, right? Death has been defeated, the enemy is crushed, and Jesus says the Holy Spirit's gonna come and convict the world in those
1: three ways. Yeah. So think about it like this, all right? Uh, I sometimes play this game called Mafia. It's like a little party game. Anybody played that game, right? And uh, so you get assigned roles in this game and there's like the Mafia, the bad guys. And if you're the bad guys in the game, (laughs) you take out literally people in the game uh, that are playing and then everyone else's job is to try to figure out who's been the ones taking everyone out. and so it's, it's fun, I promise. Um, but I, so every, every time I play this game, I hate losing. I just hate losing in general, but I hate losing, especially this game, I think, sometimes. So we're playing this game, and so-and-so is the mafia. They're the bad guys, and, and I'm the person who's trying, like, the townspeople who are trying to figure out who the mafia is, and, and I'm, like, you know... Um I'm like, it's definitely, it's definitely Carly. It's got to be Carly. I'm going to pick on her again. Yes. And so I'll be dead set on it. It's her the whole game. And then at the end of it, I'll find out it actually wasn't her at all. It was this other person who I had like, been in allegiance with. I, had, I played this whole game, and they had tr- I looked. I was like, what? You, it was you? And so listen, this is what the Holy Spirit does, okay? The Holy Spirit flip-flops the trial. Of Hmm. All right. So we were at the trial of Jesus. This is what the Bible shows us clearly, that that it wasn't just the people who condemned Jesus to death. It was us along with them. So when Jesus stands trial, we're on trial there saying, Jesus, you're guilty. You need to die. And and so the trial is flip-flop because of the resurrection, because of that vindication. The Holy Spirit flip-flops that trial and says, look, you are the guilty ones. And you crucified a righteous one.
0: Hmm.
1: See that? And what does that do when we find out we're wrong? It can make us pretty mad. <laughs> it can upset us. What do you mean I'm the guilty one? What do you mean I can't do anything to earn my salvation? What are you talking about that I haven't been good enough to be in a right re- relationship with God? And that's what the Bible tells us hmm. that we're all sinners. And when we hear that, we want to run from that message. But again, it's, it's a good work that the Holy Spirit does. This is a good work that he convicts the world. What ha- turn with me to Acts chapter 2, because I want you to see this. This is, this very process of the Holy Spirit convicting, remember we said that word is exposing, bring to light Sin, righteousness, and judgment. This is his work here, and so we can look for it in our lives. In in our everyday lives, you'll see a pattern of this with with those who are around us. You can look in Acts chapter 2. Verse 22, we'll start there. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Hmm. The Gospel of John takes us through these mighty signs from Jesus, right? Remember the man who was, who was blind? Jesus heals him. And what did the Pharisees do? They said, No. Nope. Couldn't have, been, couldn't have been a good one here. I, I don't think he did this right the right way. Uh, we're going to kick him out of the synagogue. He says, with these mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Hmm. And skip down to verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. They were exposed. They were exposed.
0: Yeah. You, you see the work of the Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter 2. You've... you've Saw it in your own life mm-hmm. if you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah. And that's why when Jesus says, it's your, to your advantage if I go, right? He, he, he uh, says in the last few verses here of our text this morning... Um, The Spirit's gonna come, he's gonna guide you into all truth, he's not gonna speak on his own authority. Basically, the role Jesus had on earth, the Holy Spirit has the same role. Remember Jesus said, I don't speak on my authority, only what I hear I say. He said the the Holy Spirit's gonna do the same thing. In fact, if you go to John nine, which Joel just uh, mentioned it, the, the man born blind. Jesus, you remember there's this crazy Trial where they're asking these guy, this guy all these questions, and he's putting together slowly who Jesus is. Verse 35 of John 9, Jesus heard they had cast him out. Would Jesus just tell the disciples they were going to do, they're going to cast you out they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And Jesus found him and said, "Do you believe in the Son of Man?" He, he answered, "Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him?" Jesus said You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. So the role of Jesus in the life of this one guy is the role the Holy Spirit can play in the life of every human being. Mm -hmm. It's to our advantage, because if Jesus stays here One man can't work their way around to, what's the population now, seven billion people. The Holy Spirit can individualize the gospel for every human being. (laughs) And you're in the middle of that ocean, you just gotta decide, am I gonna grab the preserver? And for the Christian, here's here's the hope for us. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us. Jesus says, And this is what we've learned about the Holy Spirit so far. The world hates you, but I love you. The world is your enemy, but I am your friend. The world gives you trouble and anxiety, but I give you peace. The world will cause sorrow, but I give you joy. The world may kill, but I give eternal life. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the the world for the unbeliever and for the believer, the Holy Spirit does the same thing in our lives. And so today, our hope is that you're encouraged by this, that you're not alone, that Jesus does, just doesn't peace out and go to heaven and wait and just leave us here. He sent a helper. Mm-hmm. And when it's hard, just know you're not alone. And it's going to be hard. It's we're promised that. It's part of the package. But the suffering in the short term is worth it in the end. Because he is worthy. Let's pray.